RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me, as usual, is Brian. Hey, Dusty, how's it going? And that's it. No mic today. And actually, we're not even in the same room for the first time ever. For the first time ever, we are recording this remotely. We're not going to make a habit of it. No, no, we won't. Things just worked out that way this week. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, hasn't it, man? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, I'll just talk about it real quick. Uh, So by the time, I think one week after this episode posts, or maybe when it posts, I'll have three kids in the house. So it'll be kind of crazy to see. Uh, I just don't even know how things are going to work out, but we will still do the show and we'll still do our games. So, yeah, Brian, I mean, people talk about doing social good and people talk about that, but fostering kids, doing the whole foster kid thing, I- I've thought, man, I should do that. I should really, there are human lives out there that need love and care and attention, and I should do something about that, but I, I just don't, and I probably never will. So, my hat's off to you. I, I admire you for taking you know, kids that aren't yours into your home and, and giving them, you know, love and support and financial support and guidance oh, yeah. uh, through it's fun. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to me. Um, in fact, we, uh, we joked with Brian, uh, for the last episode that you guys heard, uh, the, how does this end episode? We joked about, we needed to record the episode before, the gaming does end, you know, at least for a couple of years while while Brian adjusts to it being a parent. Well, when Margo was a newborn, man, we, we took a pretty long hiatus there. We did, but these kids aren't newborn. And, uh, you yeah, know, but Kim there's is, three of them. There's three of them. Kim is a strict authoritarian. We'll whip these. <laughs> now we're not going to whip the kids into shape. They're they're pretty good. We'll make it work. So let's talk about today's episode. So, Brian, as you gear up for your campaign... Um, actually, for your one shot first, and then and then maybe eventually eventual a campaign. campaign. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, you wanted to ask me about some of my lunchtime games, which I so cleverly call luncheons, luncheons and, dragons. and dragons. Yes. Yeah. To my understanding, at least to begin with, these started off as basically just a one shot, right? Yeah. So these are to be really clear about what these are. These are games that I play at work, literally in a meeting room during lunch break. On the lunch break. On lunch break. So we only have an hour, and that's it. And and I've never run over, and I and I, and I won't. But uh, you know, I I GM, I DM, and I don't make any secret of that. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And and actually, people are mostly curious. The days of people sneering at you know nerdy D and D players, thanks to shows like Stranger Things, are largely gone. So I've had, I've run three different groups, and I, I'd say most people. It's a, it's a mix of two things. It's people that played when they were kids, like, you know, high school and younger, and miss it and want to try it again and want to try the new the new D&D. Or it's people who have watched Stranger Things specifically or have seen other geek culture stuff and, and they just want to try to play. And I've, I've, I've run three groups and two of those groups are still active. Hey, so why, though, why are you running these games? I mean, so are you trying to... Uh, enrich the lives of these people? Are you trying to get more practice? Are you trying to make friends? I mean, what's the, what's the <laughs> purpose behind this? My, that sounds lofty. 
um, trying to enrich their lives, Brian. Uh, no, I, I don't know why, because I love the hobby. And if someone says to me, you know, hey, I'm, I'm curious about this thing, you know, I'd love to try it, then I'm happy to facilitate that. It, it's really no bigger reason than that. Um, if any of them go on to play in a different game or even run their own game, I would be delighted. I'd be beyond delighted. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, and I, I don't think it will, but you know, I, I have this huge interest. It's a hobby. It takes up a large portion of my life, and if people are interested, I want to help them learn about it. So I'll, I'll just reiterate something I've said before. I don't know if I've, I've said it on the show, but you know, our office has thousands of people in it, and there have to be, you know, when it, if if I were to be uh, reduced down to a pie chart of interests, you know, and basically you created like Venn diagrams of me compared to other people who have also been reduced down. I mean, there there are enough people in the building where I could make friends. You know, outside outside of you guys, not to sound like I want more friends, but I f- I found that I really don't. But it's it, it's it it is interesting that there are so many people who would be up for this gaming stuff, and I just I don't know. I personally haven't felt the need to to branch out beyond you guys. No, that's fair, and and the way you put it makes it sound like you know I posted. We we have you know we we used it various internal intranet social media in our company. Um, and you make it sound like, I, like maybe I posted and say, no, hey, anyone else? And I, and I didn't. Every one of these three games was organic. You know, I've been in different departments. I've supported different departments. I've done different functions. And, and you know, as I've, as I've moved from project to project and met different people, it, it comes up organically. And I have never offered before people have asked. I, I'm really nervous about being that guy, you know, who can't talk about anything but rpgs and is always like you guys want to play you guys want to play like like that's not me but yeah but you know I, i'll say you know hey i've got to go i've got a game tonight oh what kind of game oh i actually run a DD group really i used to play that and i i people ask me uh the conversation starts organically and i i i, I run it and do you run them through like a 12-step program where at the end they have to admit that they're weak or something yeah, the first step is admitting that you need to play D and D. No, no, there's no, there's no, nothing like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's no cult aspect. There's no, hey, you have to do this. There's you know, not. No, no. Strangely enough, Jack Chick was wrong. Strangely enough, no. In fact, I emphasize: look, if this is a one-time thing, I'm fine with that. Not all of D and D. People are really nervous about playing D and D for a lot of reasons, but I find one of the more practical reasons that that we don't even talk about on the show is that some people have this impression that, you know, not that it's nerdy, people want to try it, people have seen Stranger Things, but they're worried that I don't have time for a six-month or 18-month campaign. And when I said, no, you can have a game of D&D in an hour, that's when people are like, oh, well, then I definitely want to try it. I, I kind of want to delve into this. I, I know that you've been running a couple of different systems. Um, we, we've you've, you've done BFRPG, and you're also doing 4E. So why are you doing BFRPG? Um, well, so BFRPG is a is a it, it's free. Um, the books are very cheap. I was able to actually when the group expressed interest, they really talked about the old school Stranger Things type of role play, and I didn't want to get into AD and D. I personally find you know Thaco uh, to hit armor class zero. I personally find it um, confusing. 
not to say it is confusing, I've just never really played an AD&D 2nd Edition or AD&D 1st Edition game. So I don't know how to do Descending Armor Class math in my head. Um, so I wanted to give them old school, but not literally the old school. So I went with BFRPG. It has a very old school feel, but it still has Ascending Armor Class. That's why I chose it. So you put a lot of thought into that more than I more than I would have. I did. They I, were they, they were explicitly looking for old school style play. I mean, I I, w- I like it because it's cheap. I mean, how much you, you ended up buying us like all the the basic instructions several years back for Christmas, right? Yeah, the core rule book on Amazon's five bucks. And you gave it actually, and you gave it out at uh, the convention last year. I did. Yeah, it's not my favorite D twenty system ever. Um, it, it's really not for a lot of reasons. And, and it plays pretty roughly with newbies because, um, hey, in fifth edition, I want to take an action. What dice do I roll? It's always the D20. Um, Castles and Crusades, I want to take an action. What dice do I roll? It's almost always the D20. Um, most D20 games, you roll the D20. D&D since third edition, you roll the D20. Well, in, uh, in BFRPG, it goes back to an old school way where sometimes you roll the D20 if, if you're rolling off an ability. Um, if you're rolling off a skill, like a, like a, like a thief skill, like climb walls or pickpockets, you're rolling the percentile dice. If you're rolling to look for hidden doors, um, you're rolling a D6. So there's just a lot of different die. Uh, it, it's not as intuitive as if you are taking an action that could succeed or fail, you are always rolling a D20. That's so much more intuitive than BFRPG. So I so miss rolling different dice for different things. Yeah, you know, I, I feel that because I, I do feel like when you're playing, basically you can grab a D20 and then grab your weapon die. Like if you have, a, a, you know, a great axe or whatever, grab a D12 and you're done. You don't need all those other die. And that feels kind of a shame. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a little it's a little chunky and everything. How did the players, especially the noobs, uh, how did they pick it up? For BFRPG, that's two of the games, right? So one of those was meant to be a one-shot. I ran Terror on the Kataro at work. And even though it takes place in the 1920s, I run it in BFRPG. Um, how did the newbies do with it? Pretty well, because I managed the rules for them. And I told them flat out, hey, guys, we have an hour. Um, just tell me what you want to do, and I'll tell you what to roll. And we got there pretty quickly where, where, where folks were picking up on, you know, what to roll, when to roll. Um, and and it ran well enough. For the BFRPG game, some of those players wanted to keep playing, but they wanted to actually do the whole medieval medieval old school thing. And I would say it goes well. I do the same thing. Tell me what you want to do, and I'll tell you what to roll. But I will say that we play probably once every couple of months. And because of that, no one retains the rules session to session. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I remember that. Remember those days. <laughs> Still kind of that way, depending on what we're playing. Um, so the other, I guess the other system you're playing, in my mind anyway, is, is sort of comparable, which is 4E. And uh, so- you, you say comparable. I think 4E is one of the more intuitive systems. That's why I chose it. So why did I choose 4E? Um, even in 5E, okay, 5E, I want to attack you. I roll a d20. I want to cast a spell you roll a d20 for a saving throw. So in 5e, that's, that, that can be a little confusing if you don't have the full history of D&D. If you're a true dyed-in-the-wool newbie, then in 4e, if I am acting, I am rolling, period. No saving throws. You know, because there's none of that confusion. If you're taking the action, you're making the roll, period. And it's that simple. Um, so 4e has actually gone really, really well for, for total 
newbies. Um, everything they need is on the character sheet. Absolutely everything. Um, there, there's very little looking up of rules. I happen to be very familiar with 4E. Um, and I can make those sweeping always and never generalizations in 4E. Like if you're acting, you're rolling always. If you're getting attacked, you are never rolling always. Like, like I can make those sweeping generalizations and it works because 4E was designed that way. You know, thinking about it, I think the reason I feel that way is going back. It's been years since we've played 4E that I've played 4E and we didn't play that often because of, you know, um, now we play every other week. But back then it was... Margot was a newborn. That's yeah, back was, to our earlier conversation. Yeah, it was months in between and I didn't retain the uh, mechanics. And now that you're describing it, I'm like, wow, that that is pretty darn intuitive. But of course, now I've played way more systems and I've played way more often. Man, I want to revisit, <laughs> revisit for you. Dude, um, we should. We should. Um, so how, how is it going over with the, with the team that you're playing with? Uh, 4 is going over really well. We're, we're really running a lot of, everything I run is the story. It's not the rules. It's not the game. Um, I'm not trying to make anyone an expert in the rules. It's about showing them how the story is theirs. So in the BFRPG game, the story is theirs because, you know, I asked them, Hey, what do you guys want to do? And they were like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you can you can do this, you can do that, you can do this. And I said, you can take over the town. And they were like, oh, ho, 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 we mm-hmm. want to do that. So they are explicitly game over game discrediting more and more officials in town. In fact, in, <laughs> in, in the last session, they just finished assassinating the captain of the town guard. Oh, wow. And they managed to, to do a deal with some nobles and get one of them installed as the new captain of the guard. And that's where we left the game. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So we're really emphasizing story. So in the 4D game, uh, they are strangers. Well, actually, in both games, they're strangers in a strange town, but they're in they're in different towns. In the 4D game, they're just enjoying the idea of of chasing down and attacking some different, you know, some monsters, things like that. Um, they really had a lot of fun with a snow golem. I basically ran a game based on Frosty the Snowman, huh. where a, a passing tinkerer, you know, wizard who happened to be an artificer was being annoyed by some kids and he gave them a magic hat to put on their snowman and brought it to life in, in the form of a snow golem and uh, just different weird things like that. And, and the first they heard of it was the, was, you know, the kids asking for help and then they dig into it and they've realized that it's frosty and they dig into it some more and they find the tinkerer and they find out his reasons for doing it. And he had valid reasons. These, these, you know, I say kids, these 16, 17 year olds were being very threatening to him and, 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 you know, frightening him. So he felt like I had to deal with that. Making it this multi-layered thing where everyone has good reasons for what they do. And now what do you do? Because there's no clear-cut good guy, bad guy. Um, that's a lot of fun. And watching them decide what to do. There is one person in the group um, who... Actually, Brian, you know her, but I'm not going to say her name. I don't want to say anyone's name on the air. Um, but you know her, Brian. We used to all actually sit on the same floor. So uh, she's the one who basically takes action much to sometimes uh, another player's annoyance. She's the one that's like, you know what? I attack him. We're, we're done. We're done talking. <laughs> and watching the group create the story, that's that's really the fun part, and, and for them as well, I think. Cool. Hey, so you said you had two groups going? Yes, two active games. The BFRPG game is, is still going. Um, that's the game that ended with the uh, player being the new, the new captain of the town guard. And then the 4E game is still going as well. Do you have any crossover of people in those two games? I don't actually. I don't. Wow. 
So for the three games that I've ever ran... And Chris isn't in any of those either, right? Chris Chris actually is in the second group. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to have one, you know, ringer in the crowd who was familiar with it. But when, so that's actually how it happened. When, when I started working with this new group, everyone happened to work more closely with Chris now. And Chris and I would just talk, in, you know, between meetings. And people picked up that, you know, we knew each other and that I, I DM'd him, GM'd him. And that's how the organic conversation came about, where it's like, well, we, we want to try this. I've seen Stranger Things. I want to try this. I have not. Well, it's really good. I recommend it. So, okay, cool. Um, so you are running these two systems, um, like with the characters. I remember before we did the red box, um, for 40, I remember actually it was, it was at work. We, during lunch, we sat down in a meeting and we actually started, started talking through what that would look like. We got, we actually, um, we had the autonomy at that point and I hate to use the word autonomy, but we, we actually built our characters, right? Yeah, we are did. you? Are you doing that with these folks or no. are you doing something different? Oh, no, 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 no. So yeah, let's get down to the real advice here, right? So, so far, all you've heard is, you know, I chose the systems carefully. I chose the systems to be, you know, to fit what they wanted to do. You know, I asked them questions about, well, what, what are you looking for? What experience are you looking for? And if I get the old school answer, I'm going to go for the old school system. If I get an answer where it's like, you know, we just want it to be easy, then I'm going to go with the system designed to be, you know, learned very quickly. So... That's how I chose the system. As far as player or characters, no, no, no. We, we're pre-gen all the way. Uh, I'll tell you why. Our friend, Rich, told me a story years ago about his first D&D game, and he talked about how what he described to me, he didn't know it, but he was he was describing to me a session zero where it was just him and the GM, and they spent the whole session generating his character. And he said that it was it was terrible. He said it was he said it was boring and awful, and it was just numbers. And he didn't care about the stats. He didn't care about any of that stuff. He didn't know what to care about. And it, he said, and at the end, the GM looked at him and said, "Well, you know, wasn't that fun? And and you know, come back next week, and you can actually play." And Rich said, at that point, he was out, and he told the guy, "No, I'm out. I'm done." And I hear that story, and I cringe because I'm like, "Oh, Rich, you were just on the cusp of experiencing the actual game. You just did the precursor." So it's like, you know what? When I play in Mace, when I GM'd in Mace, one of the rules is no rolling characters at the table. So combine that rule with Rich's story, and it's pretty obvious that if you're running total newbies, like just complete newbies who who have never played an RPG, you should definitely have pre-gens available. And I find that even with experienced players who are joining my game for the first time, if I have pre-gens available, I've never had someone say, no, no, I'm going to roll my own character. I've never had that. So pre-gens all the way. I think back to games that I've played in the recent past compared to other games I've played. Um, Like a game like Skyrim or something where you basically, as you go, you level up uh, your specific um, characteristics. Uh, Like if you don't know what you're doing to begin with or or you've never played anything like that you can find yourself really screwing your character up and realizing you know 40 hours in that you should have made some you know changes and you have to decide if you're going to go back and uh change if you're going to go back and uh change uh your character up entirely and maybe start over dude then exactly think, yeah then you think of another game like gauntlet or something where you just pick your class and if you're a warrior you're strong if you're a thief you're fast um, those are typically 
at least for picking up and playing, far more satisfying. Yeah, and I think about our first session, episode one of, of this podcast, when I you know created characters and I wound up making a charisma-based ranger. And <laughs> I'm not going to rehash that story. If you want to hear why I did that, I had good reasons. Go back and listen to episode one. But you know, if you don't know what you need and you don't know if you've never actually played, you have no idea what to do. So, so for, for newbies, pregens all the way. And if someone said to me, okay, I'm bored of the pregen, I want to roll my own, great. Absolutely do that. I'm not here to, to say pregens are the only way to play, but it just eliminates a barrier to entry. So I, I feel, I feel very strongly about pregens. So, um, so what kind of story are you telling this in these campaigns that you're doing? I just kind of, well, I, I described that they're both in both stories that are ongoing. They are strangers in a strange town. And I'm just kind of throwing adventures at them session over session. And I'm listening to them about what do they want next session. So, so it's not like with, I mean, so East Texas University is basically supposed to be like a monster of the week. And that's what we're playing right now. But I guess you're throwing, uh, are, you, are you trying to do like the standard D&D tropes? Are you trying to get those in? Or No, is it- I, I actually don't decide what I'm going to run until I finish this adventure. So with 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 ETU, we haven't gotten to the to the full campaign postmortem yet. But one thing I'm going to say in the postmortem that I, I know I'm I already know I'm going to say it is I should not have pre-planned the sessions. I should not have said I'm going to run this campaign off of seven one sheets because that really limits where we go session to session. I'm running these where okay, I know what we're doing this adventure, and then after that I say, you know, how was that? What do you guys want to do? Anything you want to explore, anything you want to look into. And if they're like, no, nothing really, then okay, fine. Then next week, I'll just throw another plot hook at you. If they say, oh, I really want to do this, or ooh, I'm really interested in, in this lore that I just uncovered. I want, I want more on that. Then cool. I'll plan the next adventure for that. I'm letting them guide the next session as we play. As you're guiding the session, how do you keep the game within that one hour limit that you have? Oh, the one hour thing is key, man. The one hour thing is hard. Um, that is, that is the biggest advice I have to give you in, in this, in this episode. So number one, you, you gotta time clock your game as the GM. I, I basically shoot for at the beginning of the session. We've got, Oh, by the way, I shoot for 45 minutes. So I'm not even shooting for an hour. I'm shooting for 45 minutes because we're going to start five or 10 minutes late as people, you know, come in with their lunch and we're probably going to end five, you know, five, 10 minutes early somewhere in that range for people to get to their next meeting. So I've only got 45 minutes of playtime. So I shoot for three 15s, 15 minutes of exploration, 15 minutes, uh, that, that, that 15 minutes of exploration is basically I throw the plot hook at them and I get them engaged with the adventure and they have 15 minutes to find that engagement and, and talk to people and investigate and figure out all the rumors and, or whatever. They have 15 minutes to explore. Then and, and I'll push them along. And if they haven't gotten to it, then if we hit 15 minutes, then I'll just say, sorry, guys, we, we got to get moving. Um, you ask around town some more. And sure enough, you find out the bandit's lair is on the outskirts of town in this old abandoned quarry. And now you're at the quarry. I'll, I'll literally do that. And I'll be that heavy handed with it. And people are OK with that because they recognize we have an hour. Yeah, I, I was assuming that you would have to do that. And I mean, it makes sense why you would why you would do that. And I guess you're doing theater of the mind for all of this, so it's just easier in general to it, it move is. things along. Yes. Yeah. Um, the next 15 minutes is combat. So, and I say combat, what I really mean is conflict. And 
conflict usually means combat, but it could mean traps. It could mean, you know, resolving the actual conflict of the game with, with social stuff, with negotiation. Um, but 15 minutes of conflict to actually resolve the adventure, you know, could be combat, could be whatever. But if, if it is combat, I use all my tricks to make combat short. Um, even in BFRPG for monsters, you know, I'll double damage and half hit points. I've got fewer, stronger monsters. I, I, I don't want to, when it's my turn, I don't want to have eight goblins and I don't want to roll eight yeah. attacks and eight damage rolls. I don't want to do that. Um, so I, you know what? I'm going to steal some advice because this is honestly what I do. We just had the conversation about 5e and what a shame it is we only have two dice out. I only have two dice out, Brian. For really? both of my work games, I have a D6 and a D20, and I stole that from Chris Perkins. I can't remember if it was a podcast or an article, but Chris Perkins, who is he's a Wizards employee, uh, he was actually he came aboard right after TSR was was acquired by Wizards of the Coast. Um, he's awesome. I'm sure anyone listening to the show has heard of him. Uh, he's the one that runs the Penny Arcade guys. He's he's the DM that got me to actually play, listening to his his stuff way back in uh, the early 2000s. Anyway, he talks about how he, he when he runs, he doesn't have time for all that. He has two dice. He has a d20 and a d6. And Brian, what I'll do is I will look at the average damage. So if, if, a, if a monster deals a, a, a d10 damage, okay, I know the average is 5.5. So I'll take that and I will subtract three from it and I'll get um, 2.5. So call that three. So three is the base, and then I roll a d6, and I add and I add the d6 to it. If a monster deals a d12, then it's 6.5 minus three um, plus the d6. I, I'm always taking the average, subtracting three, and then adding the d6 roll to it. So that way, the numbers feel random enough that I'm rolling damage. The numbers feel random enough that you know I'm not just giving the average damage every single time. So the players, yeah, I find players don't like that when the monster always does a six but you have to roll your damage. New players are confused. So yeah. I do the D20 and the D6, and that's it to keep things moving on my side. But anyway, I have fewer monsters, and 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 but stronger monsters. The monster is the equivalent of four PCs because he's fighting four PCs, but I don't want four monsters. I want to keep my turn short. That makes sense. I mean, it really does. Um, I'm going to have to steal that. Yeah, cheat. Um, and when I say cheat, don't literally cheat. Roll in front of the players. You know, use the right stats. But anything you can do to shorten your turn, so important. Because these new players that you're introducing to this game are these players that are, only have an hour to play. They're not there to sit there and watch you be a great GM. They're there to have their turn. Anyway, that, that's a good that's a good observation. Yeah. So you have your 15 minutes of exploration, 15 minutes of conflict, and what about the other 15 minutes? 15 minutes of wrap up. So. It's like the denouement in a short story, uh, which I used to call the denouement. denouement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the denouement. So people love uh, when it's their characters. You know those movies like like Animal House, where the movie ends with a freeze frame on every character yeah. and a couple of sentences about what happened to them later in life. People want to know that stuff. So I allow 15 minutes of, of just wrap up. Okay, here's what you just accomplished. And here's how that changed things in the village. And now, you know, things are much more prosperous. And now you're this much more popular. In fact, in this tavern, you don't have to pay for food from now on. You, you eat and drink for free. You know what? He's dedicating this room to you. This is your room in this inn. You don't have to pay for it anymore. He, he's that appreciative. 
um, I layer in these rewards because I noticed and, and call it narcissism, I, I guess. I noticed, Brian, that when I play video games, I love video games that tell me how awesome I am. I'll give you. You, you saved Ronnie. Yeah, you saved President Ronnie. You're awesome. You're a bad dude um, from the famous Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja. One of my favorite video games of all time that I have played over and over and over is Mech Warrior, uh, Mech Warrior 4, uh, Vengeance, I think it is. And in Mech Warrior 4, you play this guy who is this exiled, you know, heir to the throne of this planet, and you come back and free the planet. And if you take the good path versus the evil path, like I always do, then the characters around you are like, oh, you're so awesome. You're amazing. You're our savior. Thanks for coming back. And I'm just like, it strokes my ego. I love that. And if I love that as a video game player, then I know players love that. They want to hear about how what they just did matters. So I give them that, that, that last 15 minutes is that wish fulfillment of you matter, you're important, what you just did matters. It was game-changing for the people in this town, and they love you. And if I have to cut anything short, and I have to cut the denouement short, then no big deal. That night when I get home, I crack my laptop, I start an email, and I take care of the wrap-up and the denouement and how awesome they are in an email no, no more than 24 hours after the game, so it's still fresh, to give them that same satisfaction. I like that. It's so, so important, Brian. And, and you're not stroking egos, right? You're just making them feel like, hey, this mattered. This was important. Good job. I mean, it's the, it's the payoff. It's part of the experience. So it's, it's due to them in a way. Yeah, payoff is a great is a great term for it. And and it's it's all, to me, this is the finish. When I think about wrestling analogies, the combat isn't the finish. Even the end of the combat isn't the finish. That part is not planned. Just like the middle part of a wrestling match, it's not planned. I might have some spots planned. I might have a few uh, a few set pieces planned. I might know that midway through the combat, you know, a mutant shark is going to come in with lasers on its, you know, whatever. I might know those things, but that's not the finish. The finish is the denouement or the wrap-up. So you said that uh, if you run out of time, you will uh, just do the wrap-up after hours. So do you ever run over or have you ever run over? I always keep it to an hour. So I've never run over the hour. I've never kept people past the hour. Uh, but that very first game, Terror on the Kataro, it did take two sessions. Um, and then the second session didn't take the full hour because we didn't have that much left. But I, I did have to overflow into another session. Now, how did, out, of, out of curiosity, I'm yeah. sorry. How did that session of Terror on the Kataro go compared to the uh, some of the other sessions you've run? <laughs> um, well... I'm trying to remember who did what. Okay, so you guys, when you played, you were my first game. You recognized the poachers as bad guys immediately. Well, and, and then at, at, at con, the poachers were recognized as bad guys pretty much immediately. At this game, the poachers, basically the players saw them as allies who were also trying to help contain the situation. So that the players actually <laughs> allied themselves to the poachers. <laughs> For a significant portion of the game, uh, until the poachers revealed themselves to be, you know, poachers. But that added a dimension for those people to experience in the game. That's, it, it did. That's actually yeah. amazing. I love that. I, I've run Terracaro a bunch of times, and it's never gone the same way. Man, I love that. And it's such a simple adventure, and it, and it's it's geographically limited. It's on a boat, but that's what different players give you. You know what? I probably get. As much out of these, Brian, you you asked me, why do I do this as if it's me deigning to run these games? I get a lot out of it, too. I get to experience 
different players and new players and, and different ideas and different thoughts. And it's fun. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Um, okay. So you said that occasionally you have run over, uh, and you mentioned the Terra and the Kataru, uh, you had, uh, another, two another, another session, but yeah, now that, now that I do the 15, 15, 15, I don't run over anymore. And the bigger difference is Brian, that first 15 of exploration, that's the most critical to not run over. That is the most critical. I can end combat by declaring the bad guy's dead whenever I want to, if I run up against that time frame. But that first one of actually getting them engaged, that's a critical one. And I just feel free to step in and say, okay, you know what? You talk to more people, you find out where the bad guys are, you go there, now you're there. So people, your, your players and, and you, you guys play this over lunch. Do you allow them to go grab their lunch and eat during the game? Is that do I allow them to have have their 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 required OSHA whatever lunch? Yes, of course, absolutely. Well, you know, I I know sometimes. I mean, it could get in the way, or you ask him. I mean, does it eat into the hour? Or you just ask him to stop and grab something at the canteen on the way in. That's why I do the forty five minutes instead of the hour. Is I expect part of the hour to be people are five minutes late from when they had to go run grab lunch. Okay, um, the group that I'm running the main, the 40 group that I'm running, like it just feels like organically everyone brings their lunch. So, you know, right before we play, everyone runs to the fridge. No big deal. The other group that I run, um, they actually, two of the guys just walk down to the cafeteria together and grab lunch and come back up. But yeah, I plan to start a few minutes late so people can bring their lunch. And, and of course people eat while they're playing. People talk with their mouths full when it's their turn and it catches them off guard and it's no big deal. We all laugh about it because Ultimately, it is the lunch hour. Okay. So when and how do you prepare for these sessions? Uh, it's a, just a couple things. Um, I think a one problem, and I've said this before, and I'm trying to crystallize it even more. There's one problem, and I think, okay, for that one problem, where did it come from? Who is behind it? And what happens if the players don't interfere? And let me break that down some more. So where did the problem come from? So what's the what's the nature of the conflict is there social unrest in the village is there you know what are the broader sociological ecological reasons for this conflict um are the goblins out of food you know what i have to i have to have a reason for the bad guys to act so what's the origin of the problem then who's behind it when i say who's behind it while i'm thinking of the origin i basically know it's goblins when i get to the who part okay now it's time to actually stat them up so exactly what goblins am I running? If it's 40, I, I pick out several goblin variants. If it's um, BFRPG, I roll their hit points, but I generate the monsters. And then what happens to players don't interfere? Well, the players don't always interfere when I want them to. Sometimes they sit back and wait. And I want to know if they sit back and wait, what happens? What is the goblins plan from A to Z? And when they try it and they're only up against the villagers, the players don't interfere, what would naturally happen? That way, because you, you, I often find players, and Brian, maybe you'll recognize this, just say, well, you know what? I don't. I want to sit back. I'm not sure what to do yet. Well, what <laughs> happens, what happens hey, next? That's, that's close to home. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But I, I want to have that planned out. That way, if I know their plan, when the players do take action, I know how the players screw up the bad guy's plan, and I can adapt that on the fly and make the players feel like what they're doing is impacting the bad guys because hey it is it's it's throwing them off their game okay interesting and then i uh, like it 
the, the last thing I, I try to think of, and I usually wind up doing this during the session, I try to just think of a, of a seed of an idea to put in their mind for next time. When we had the snowman plot, while they were fighting the snowman, I, I had them find a mysterious, uh, a mysterious um, tunnel underneath the town well. And, and that just kind of perks their ears up for, ooh, you know, and then I get to the end and I'm saying, okay, what do you, what do you, what do you want to do next time? Well, what's in that tunnel? Or I want to kill the sheriff or the, the I want, I want to kill the, the captain of the town guard. Um, I want to put some seeds out there if they want to, you know, choose my seeds to go after for next time. But I also want to have them be free to ignore that and do something else. But I only allow them to ignore plot hooks at the end of an adventure. If I've prepped that plot hook, and I start, and they're like, nah, we don't want to do that. Mm, too bad. <laughs> this is the game that I've prepped. This is the game that I showed up with. When we end this session, then you can tell me what you want to do. But but I've never had that actually be a conflict. It's no big deal. If I end every session with, what do you want to do next time? Then next time when it happens, they're they're gleeful and delighted that they're getting to play the game they want. And I'm gleeful because I prepped all the right stuff for exactly what they want. Kind of like the courtroom drama? Yeah, exactly. You yeah, guys you no. guys wanted it, so I prepped it. It didn't go great, but you at the start of that session, you engaged the heck out of that plot hook because it's the one you wanted. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Do not disagree with that. Cool. Uh this all sounds really interesting to me. I think uh there's things that I could utilize uh in my campaign at the very least. Yeah. So how do you how do you run a game for totally new people? How do you think about, you know, how do you approach pre-gens and plot hooks and all that and then how do you keep the game short and to the point because I'm, I'm here to tell you new players who aren't sure what they're doing you don't want to leave too much in their court as far as exploration or asking them to guide the game or run the game or it's so easy to run a game with experienced players where i can sit back and let you guys take half the burden and develop your characters and get used to that and then run a table of new players and think, what's wrong with these guys? They're not developing their characters at all. I'm giving them every hook in the world and they're just sitting in the tavern drinking. Well, you know, they don't just need a plot hook. They need a plot neon sign. You know, I real quick aside, this just actually made me think of uh, a movie that came out recently. Did you see, I guess technically it's a sequel, not a remake, uh, Jumanji? Uh, I saw the first one with Robin Williams. I have not seen the Dwayne the Rock, Bar- Dwayne okay, the Rock so- Johnson version. So, uh, funny enough, basically, they have uh, the teens in, in, inhabit the body of these characters, and the characters are predefined. They have their own their own characteristics, uh, traits, etc., and you have to play them in a specific way. But the people, the teens in the movie, uh, basically play the characters as themselves. But they utilize the the traits, the skills that they have to get through the trials and the uh, challenges that face them. It's kind of like they were given pre-gen characters and they're having to play them. It's just, I don't know. It's just interesting to me to think about. If you're not comfortable with pre-gens because, you know, you feel like you're forcing, you know, hey, pick one of these four characters. Okay, well, you know, make eight characters. But here's some tricks that I do. First of all, I, I I know the basic classes, classes and races, <laughs> classes. I know the classes and races of the pregens, and I'll just share. Hey, I've got you know human barbarian, a dwarven fighter, this that and the other. And does it, do those sound fine? And if not, 
um, before the first session, like days before, I'll say, okay, well, what do you want to play? You know, just a strong character, a smart character, a clever character, a, a character that is a swashbuckler. Like, like if, if you had to pick a movie character, what movie character do you want to basically play? And then I'll just, I'll just still generate their character because I know the mechanics and how to make that work for them. Uh, but they did get to have some choice. The other thing I'll do is I'll generate for, for BFRBG. I've got like eight characters and I've actually named them all and I gave them all androgynous names. So Kay- that's interesting. Casey the cleric. Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Is it, is it, is it neither? I don't know. I don't care. You pick, but. I, I went and found a list of androgynous names, and I've I've named actually I've got a, a a narrative game system NGS supplement that I've been working on for the last year called Valil, and I've got four pregens in that. And Casey the cleric is actually one of the pregens. Uh, Taylor the thief, but I, I literally used androgynous names, so you know anybody can play Taylor, anybody can play Casey. I like it. Instead of in the past when I think we've been I don't want to say forced, but we we took a character that was the opposite. Uh, sex or gender because we, I hate to say it was the only one left, you but, were stuck, but it's happened. Yes. Stuck, yeah. You, well, <laughs> it, it, even if it's not gender, you're stuck playing something that you don't want to play because it's all that's left. But instead of, you know, okay, just, fine. Don't, I, I guess I'll be the bard. Yeah, but instead of like running with it or even, you know, doing with it, you know, making it your own, you're just like, okay, I'm the bard, damn it. Yeah, so if you if you don't want to force your characters into pregens, then generate a bunch or find some pregens online, or just just ask them for, hey, give me a sentence about what you want to play, and I'll I'll do the character building. All I'm saying is, for brand new players, it's a bad idea to pull them and do an hour long session just to generate a character in general. Yeah, when you put it that way, man. And if they now, want to do it, fine, but don't make it a barrier. Don't make it a requirement. How did we? How did they go over with us when we did it years ago? Well, the cool thing about four e four e d and d is that. Um, well, okay. Number one, the, our very first game, I, I had pre-generated and we realized what a terrible job I did as we started playing. <laughs> um, so you guys just laughed at me and were very kind to me and it was all good. Um, our next game for when we started playing the Redbox stuff, the Redbox was very clever, Brian, at it had this first person adventure. It's a choose your own adventure sort of adventure. And as you run yourself through it, um, basically you, the goblins attack this cart that you're on and it says, okay. Is your character the kind of character that would, you know, hop off and run after the goblins with your shield held high? Would your character, you know, run the other way, but then cast spells over your shoulder? And it would ask all these questions at different points in the story. And you'd basically choose your own adventure down to, okay, you are now an elven wizard. You are now a human fighter. You are now a halfling thief. It was very, it was very clever the way it was done. Yeah. That's basically, I think, how, um, some Bethesda games have recently done it, if I remember right. Yeah, it's so much more. It, it's it's just easier to generate your character for someone who doesn't know what these stats mean. Yeah, I like it. Cool. So, Brian, for your one shot, keep it short. One problem to solve. Forty five minutes of exploration. Forty five minutes of conflict. Forty five minutes of 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 denouement or wrap up or denouement <laughs> or denouement. And uh, feel free to just move the session along brute force because new players will probably appreciate it. The more seasoned players get and the more they want to explore, maybe they don't want to be hurried. But at first, I think players are really nervous. Like, am I asking the wrong thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? So any guidance they get, they just appreciate in general. Makes sense. 
I, I, I will take notes. I'll go back and re-listen to this episode as I edit, and I will uh, take notes, and I'll utilize that when, uh, when it comes time to run my game. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to RPG Lessons Learned. This was episode 56, and hey, thanks for listening to, if you have, 56 episodes of, of, of us, Brian, of us. I know. All right. RPGLL out. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>